This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Sustainability, the Business Opportunity of the 21st Century. We are at a moment of enormous global change and even greater business opportunity. Climate change is the single biggest commercial opportunity of our time, and this podcast sustainability guru Richard Blundell and myself explore the opportunities open to businesses which embrace sustainability from the business perspective. Find out why sustainability is the greatest business opportunity of the 21st century. Hello everyone, Tom Fox and Richard Blundell back for another episode. Richard, first of all, welcome back. Great to be back, Tom. Thanks for having me. So today I wanted to start off with a rather amorphous topic, and maybe we can see if we can narrow it down, but it's sustainability leadership. How would you characterize that, and does that really mean something concrete in the business world? Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. I think it does. I think sustainability is a mindset, first and foremost, and we've heard for so long the stories of doom and gloom and everything very negative, and it's almost like a threat. And the great leaders in this space have viewed sustainability as an opportunity. And when you have that lens, the opportunity lens, the things like, oh, it's going to cost me more, I'm going to lose profitability, the transition is going to really affect my uh, my business and its longevity, we can show with great precision that through all kinds of empirical studies that have been done that if you have an opportunity mindset and you embed sustainability in your strategy that you do better than others that you outperform the market you outperform your peers so it starts by saying i'm going to look at this with a totally different lens than the the doom and gloom lens lens i've always said that we've been selling death insurance for far too long in this space, and there's a really great life insurance story. And the other thing is that you have to recognize that sustainability is a journey. It's not a destination, unlike innovation, which is a destination. Sustainability is a journey, and it doesn't end. It goes on forever. And the really good companies, Nike, Interface, Unilever, and others have viewed it that way. So they they keep moving up their are increasing their milestones to to increase the their performance of the business first and foremost the economic performance of their business along with the outcomes that they're trying to gen- generate around both social and environmental impacts that they're generating but it's a if you believe that there if you go into this with an opportunity lens and realize that it's a journey and it's a long-term vision. The next step is to commit to action and to commit to action in an environment which is changing all the time. That's I worked with a guy named Sergio Marchioni who I think is one of the greatest industrial leaders of our time and we used to practice the fact that we were always looking for discontinuities in our business model that really can't be planned. It becomes a way of life. And so you're, and the way to think about this is the optic is I show up at the office and I make sure at the end of that day that I leave, he would say the house, the business in better shape than when I arrived in the morning. So I think those are the underpin underpinnings of really great leadership. Other things that matter, of course, are passion, vision, and purpose. I think these are, it's been proven that purpose-led businesses outperform those that are not. And 
investors also, BlackRock and others, are looking for leaders that are driven by purpose. I think those are the hallmarks. Richard, let me see if I could maybe take this down to a fairly concrete level. As our listeners know, I'm from the great state of Texas, and I practiced in the energy space for nearly 40 years. And when I first heard about sustainability, long before I met you, it struck me that if a fossil-based energy company could create 5% per year in energy in renewables, it would extend out the life of their fossil-based fuels. So why on earth wouldn't you take the opportunity to diversify your fuel base so that you could extend out one of those bases? And that's a message that it makes a lot it makes intuitive sense to me. Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying something different? I think I'm saying something different. I think this is a, for that particular industry, this is a wholesale transition. And, and it really, I mean, if, if you believe in climate change and the fact that we are emitting far too much CO2, and one of the biggest culprits to that is the oil and gas industry, that calls for wholesale change and massive trans transformation of that industry. But in lies that a massive opportunity, right? So if you look at it as this is going to be really difficult and we can't do it and it's going to cost too much and all that sort of death insurance or negative sort of view of the world, it's a world of scarcity rather than a world of abundance. And the reality is that the executives that look at their business and see a challenge that is, in this case, for this industry, massive, because it really is a wholesale transformation of their industry, are the ones that are the most successful. So let's take a look at, an, at a utility that used to be called the Dong in Denmark, over 90% fossil fuel-based energy generation business, decided to transition to become an offshore wind business in a very short period of time Let's, let me take a step back. Not in, in a very short period of time, if you look at the overall sort of time frame for transformation of industries, they were quite aggressive in this transition. It was now the opposite. It is now more than 90% offshore wind. It's the global leader. The, I, if you would ask the CEO, I think, what was his proudest achievement, my bet is that he would tell you that he made this transition without losing jobs. In other words, he's upskilled his workforce to go from oil and gas activities into offshore wind activities and did that very successfully. And he's extremely proud, as he should be, of that transition of the workforce. And there are many other examples of that, too. I was reading recently there's a Finnish oil company called Neste now, which is the largest renewable fuels company, because those leaders they decided to make this transition. And one of the things about oil and gas is they've got all of the skills to do this transition. They've got chemists, geologists, physicists. They have all of these massively talented people that are the skills that you need to actually do this transition. And I think there's an enormous opportunity here. And Neste and Orsted are two companies that have proven that they can do it. So I think it's not this incremental change that you're suggesting. One And one of the reasons for that is that incremental change is very predictable and does not deliver competitive advantage over time. And so if you're really going to try and change, you've got to really look at, at large transitions, large transformations, bold strategies, 
and do it with passion. These, if you talk to these leaders that have been successful, they're very passionate about their visions. They're very passionate about the people that work for them. They're very passionate about their customers and their stakeholders. They are inspirational and they live those inspirations every day. They live their visions every day. They're leaders that lead. I've always said great leaders lead. They don't follow, they lead. And these are people that are, that are led and are led by purpose, right? And I think it's, I think it's absolutely doable. I, I listen to, I won't say the name of the company, but I listened to a CEO of a company, a very large household name, oil and gas company, explain a, an investment that they were making in direct air capture. And the CEO actually had difficulty not only explaining the investment that they were making and how that technology works, but was actually really just trying to get us to convince us that if they did this, they could produce more CO2. And that makes no sense to me whatsoever. So in terms of, you talked about leaders leading, but that also speaks to a concept that we talk about in the compliance arena quite a bit, which is tone at the top. And that if you have tone set by senior leadership, if you have tone set by management, literally the organization will follow that. Now it can't simply be talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. Can the leaders in a sustainable enterprise or a sustainability leader have you seen that communication and commitment flow down through an organization as well yeah so i absolutely and i think the best story again and i i use interface a lot just because i think it's a great story and it's extremely well documented but ray anderson once talked about having a group they they created a consulting arm called rays which is to help other companies understand or, or to help them with their transitions to, to a lower carbon world. And they had a group, I think from Europe, that was in, the, in their factory in Georgia. And the meeting room that they were using was actually inside the factory. And this particular executive had been very obstructive throughout the early course of their meetings and really didn't want to be there and was being very disruptive in the meeting. And then they had a break and this individual went to to get to the restroom, had to walk through the factory and stopped one of the one of the fork truck drivers that had a roll of carpet on his fork truck and asked what his job was. And he told this individual that he was there to actually save the planet. And uh, and this individual was struck by the fact that this message that Ray had created and the passion that he had generated for the purpose that they had built around their journey, which he called Mount Sustainability, had reached all the way to the factory floor. He would call it love on the factory floor. Anyway, this individual came back to the meeting, completely different demeanor, became started to ask questions about why aren't we doing the same things and became very, constru very constructive and very involved in the discussion. So that's a great example of getting that communication or that energy all the way throughout the organization. Paul Pullman would say the same thing of sustainable living and he would say that if you were if you're working for an organization that has a greater pur purpose, in other words you know why you're there every day, you get more energy out of the organization, you extract the extra mile which he would classify as going from good to great, a good organization to becoming a great organization. And so the other thing that I would say about communication, so it is about, it is about inspiration and it is about passion, 
but it also is about commitment. And commitment means that you have to create milestones. You have to create goals for an organization. And all of the cases that I've mentioned, the goals that were created were outrageous. They were so bold that it takes your breath away. And that is extremely inspiring for an organization. But once you've created that commitment, it's very important that the messaging not only is consistent, but that it's simple and it's clear because simplicity scales and complexity does not. And it's much easier to create simple communication and simple clear communication and clear simple messaging across the organization. And I think what Ray did with Mount Sustainability was he created this kind of vision. I've got to climb this mountain. It's taller than Everest. And it's got, I think, seven or eight steps. I can't remember precisely that we're going to, and each one of those milestones. And so it was clear what they were trying to do. And he created an image in everybody's head about what they were trying to do, the extent of the journey. And every one of those milestones was very clearly communicated. Richard, in 2019 or 2018, the Business Roundtable released a document entitled a statement on the purpose of a corporation. And in that document, they talked about a corporation as answering to stakeholders, not simply shareholders. Now, obviously, a corporation, a for-profit corporation, does answer to shareholders. But they broadened that out to a group. We've just discussed employees, but it also included customers. It included localities where they might do business. And it included third parties who may do business with them. In your experience, can a business based on sustainability or sustainability leaders also move that discussion to the stakeholders identified by the Business Roundtable beyond simply employees? Yeah, it can, Tom. It's a very good question. And it actually, it's not an issue of whether you can or you can't. It's an imperative. You have to do it. And so one of the things that is important to understand about sustainability and building a sustainability strategy is this notion of materiality. We always used to talk about the the financial implications of decisions that are being made by an organization. And now we've talked about, we talk about dual materiality, which is now what are the social and environmental implications around the business decisions that are made by corporations. And within that, is the stakeholders are a key component to that. So they actually, you, materiality is essentially a measure of the importance of strategic decisions and milestones that are being made by a company in terms of impact on the business itself and the impact on its stakeholders. And so for a company to actually determine how to set priorities around its sustainability activities, it needs to go through this process of analyzing materiality. And again, it is understanding the importance of those issues and the impacts on its stakeholders and the communities that they serve and also on the business itself. And so all companies today that are going through this transition need to go through this exercise and do go through this exercise because it's the only way for them to actually determine where do I start and what's important along the journey. And they do this every year, right? They go, and so you look at 
you actually have to go and get feedback from stakeholders. And there's many ways of doing that. You can read reports, you can get studies that have been done within a certain class of stakeholders that generally represent their interests and under, and, and provide a degree of measurement around or metrics around importance and impact. But the, and there's obviously direct interviews, but there's all kinds of ways to actually do that and collect that data to actually make these decisions. But it's a process that all companies take, undertake actually to, to address stakeholder impact. Richard, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself or the topics we've touched on, what might be the best place for them to go? Yeah, that's uh, thanks, Tom. So you can go to the sustainabilityleader.com. And actually, I just recently published an article for the Rotman School of Management, which is the business school at the University of Toronto, their Insights Hub, which is a digital sort of magazine on leadership. So you can get more information there on this topic. Richard, thanks again. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century. I've linked to information on Richard's contact information in the show notes. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to him directly. Also, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. Sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. 